Welcome to the Caris Christian Center podcast. Um, go ahead and turn your Bible to Matthew 6. I'm continuing my series here tonight entitled Grace on the Mount. And I love that everything that Jesus did was just full of grace, full of truth. John had this to say about Jesus in John 1, verse 14 through 17. He said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. I love that a lot of the, the worship ministry tonight was centered on the glory of, of Jesus, of, of, of the Father. I just love that Art even, um, you know, prayed the, the you know, the, um, our Father who art in heaven, he prayed the end of that prayer. I'm going to go over that tonight. I don't think he even knew I was going to be preaching on that tonight. I just think the Holy Spirit was ministering and setting him up, showing him things to come. But... Um, we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So um, we talked um, as we went through Matthew 5 that, that in this um, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus wasn't adding to the law. He was just showing you that the law cannot fulfill you. The law cannot make you righteous. Only faith in Jesus can make you righteous. And at the end of Matthew 5, Jesus kind of summed up that chapter by saying, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And the law cannot perfect someone. Yeah, and I love, I love, we talked about um, Paul the Apostle's revelation concerning um, righteousness by the law or, or righteousness through faith in Jesus. And he said concerning the law, I kept it blameless. But he knew that didn't make him a righteous person. He said my righteousness was as filthy rags. You can only be righteous through faith in Jesus. You can only be made perfect through faith in Jesus. And Jesus actually preached this quite a bit. He preached it, you know, here in Matthew 5. He also preached it um, with a woman caught in the act of adultery in John 8. He said, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. So a lot of people try to take a, you know, certain verses out of, out of Matthew 5 and use them to cast stones, but that's not the point of Matthew 5. The point of Matthew 5 is to point people to Jesus, to have faith in him. And you can only be righteous through faith in Jesus. Amen? And um, um, throughout Matthew 6, as I was just really delving into this, um, we see that Jesus talks a lot about the glory of God. The glory of God. And I want to define the glory of God for everyone here tonight. And it's really important to understand what God's glory is. And it's so much better than man's glory. You know, the world, the, the Antichrist spirit, the, the, the spirit of the world today tries to push man's glory. Tries to push man's truth, man's ideas, man tries to put man at the center of everything, tries to make a God out of mankind, a God out of individuals. But, but God's glory is so much better, and God's glory is this. It is his power, it is his presence, and it is his purpose. Say that, the glory of God is his power, is his presence, and is his purpose. And God wants to reveal his glory. He's not trying to hide his glory. He wants to reveal his glory. And he's been revealing it ever since creation. He has revealed his glory through Jesus. And he wants to continue to re reveal his glory 
through his family, through his sons and daughters, through that spirit of Christ that he's placed inside of us. God is not trying to hide his glory. He wants to demonstrate his glory ever since creation. We see that in Romans 1. Go ahead and um, keep a marker there in Matthew 6, but look really quickly at Romans 1, verse 20 through 23. And this has been on my heart a lot this week. And um, God spoke something to me um, from these verses that I think is very profound for the time that we live in. Romans 1 Um, Verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. God has made his glory clearly seen. He's been trying to make himself evident ever since creation. God has not been hiding. He's been trying to go after mankind ever since he created man, ever since he created Adam and Eve. And he's made his invisible attributes, even his nature, his heart, who he is, he he wants it to be clearly seen. It says, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power. His power relates to his glory, right? His eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. And a lot of people today are into making excuses, making excuses why they don't want to honor their father and mother, why they don't want to follow Jesus, why they don't like the church. But, but someday, each individual will stand before God. It is appointed for everyone to die, and then the judgment. And, and, and some excuses aren't really going to cut it. They're without excuse because although they knew God, they did not say glorify Glorify him as God, nor were thankful. And man, that, 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 is, that is really present in the world today, that this push for unthankfulness. It's like, a, man, man the, the world really pushes unthankfulness, really pushes entitlement, where you shouldn't be thankful. You, you should be upset that you don't have what you deserve. It's an it's a, it's a entitlement thing, and it's really not from the spirit of Christ. It's from the spirit of Antichrist, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So we see this progression that although people know there's a God, they don't glorify him as God. They're unthankful, and it affects their thoughts. It even affects their hearts. You know, God showed me something just from the scripture, how, how it actually works in the opposite form, if you are thankful, then your imagination is going to work the way God wants it to work. If you're unthankful, then your imagination is going to work in a destructive way. What the enemy does, what the spirit of Antichrist tries to do, you know, Jesus was, was with the Father and, and was with him when he created everything. The spirit of Christ is creative. The, the Antichrist spirit is a destructive spirit. And he wants to take the beautiful things that point to God and tries to distort them, tries to twist them, and tries, he's a destroyer. But if you, if you, if you systematically are thankful, I love that we're celebrating Thanksgiving in a week. And really, we should be thankful more than just one day out of the year. For some people, one day out of the year is is too much for them because they just, for 364 days, have been unthankful. But if, if, you, if, you, if you 
if you glorify God, if you are thankful, it's actually going to cause your imagination, cause your thought life to work in a positive way, cause it to work the way God wants it to do. If you struggle with a lot of depression, struggle with anxiety, struggle with just kind of stuck in a rut with your thought life, start being just, just out loud. To, to give thanksgiving, you have to do it out loud. You can't just think it. You need, to, you need to write it down and also say it out loud, even sing it. Now, we don't sing whiny songs here at Craig Harris Christian Center. We sing songs of thanksgiving, songs of praise, songs of faith, songs that that glorify and worship Jesus. We're never going to sing an unthankful, whiny song here. You aren't going to hear an unthankful, whiny type message here either. And sometimes it grates on people because oftentimes it's all you hear is like, you should be unthankful, you should be broken, you should be. Because that's what gets pumped by the world, but that's not, that's not faith. So they were unthankful, they, they um, became futile in their thoughts, their foolish hearts were dark, and professing to be wise, they became fools. And this is, this is kind of what's been on my heart. It connects here. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. And birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And, you know, for the, for the most part, people don't worship images of birds and animals and creeping things. But people often worship images that are made in man's image. That some man came up with. Maybe it was Karl Marx or Sigmund Freud or it's just your feelings and that's your image. That's your glory. That's what you're going to worship. But as human beings, we are created in God's image. We're created in his image. The enemy, that antichrist spirit, and it's really an anti-creator spirit, wants to create a God that is in man's image. And I'll explain this further. We are created in his image, the enemy which is the Antichrist spirit, the anti-creator spirit, the spirit of this present evil age, wants to create a God in man's image. We are created from the one true God's imagination. We're created from his will, from his desire, from his heart. We're created for his glory. We are not to create a God from our imagination. We're not to create a God from our will, from our desires, from our thoughts, from our feelings, from our intellect. And this, this, this kind of, if, it's, if, if we imagine it, if we think it, a God that's in our image, it's, it's very present in the world today. And I want to read something from Genesis 1 now. Verse 26 through 28, it says, Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. As soon as you start making idols in your own image, things to worship in your own image from your own idea, from man's own ideas, from man's own thoughts, from man's own morality, you start giving up your dominion. We see that a lot, a lot, of, a lot of humanity today is giving up their dominion, giving up their authority over to other things that they should not be giving it up to. 
Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. This push for, 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 for blurring the lines between male and female, it's coming from an anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-creator spirit. Preferred pronouns, it's an offense to God. It's an offense to the creator. It's an offense. It's actually completely insane. And it, 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 like the, the, the spirit of the world has normalized it incredibly quickly, even here in Carter Springs, Colorado. You know, just recently we had a school board election here in D20. That there were two board members who were running for re-election. They both claimed to be Christian. One, one you, know, you know, waves a lot of rainbow flags, and, and I guess she's actually Mormon. She says she's Christian, but... Leaves out the fact that she goes to the Church of Latter-day Saints and believes in a cult. But, but these two that re-ran, re, re um, you know, one of them um, was asked the question, you know, what, what do you think about preferred pronouns in schools? And he said, well, it's fine. I work in the, the workplace and it's not a big deal. It's just how the world is today. But it is a big deal. It, it, it is a big deal because the, there are some things you can prefer. There are many things that you get to prefer. You can prefer to wear boots or tennis shoes. You can prefer to drive a truck or a car. You can prefer to live in the mountains or in the plains. You can prefer you know, who you marry. You can, you can prefer many things. But one thing that you can't prefer is if you are male or female, because you were created male or female. It is all throughout creation. My dog, uh, we have two male dogs. How do I know? Because they were created that way. My dog even has preferences. He prefers steak to his kibbles. <laughs> but this whole, this whole like, preferred pronoun thing, don't, don't, don't even go into that. Just say you don't believe in that. And the reason why you don't believe in it is because you believe that there is a creator and that he created them male and female in his own image. And that, that, that preferred pronoun nonsense, it's actually an offense to God. And as believers, we should care not about what people think, not even about what you may think. Maybe you think it's okay to, to put preferred pronouns on your you, the, the signature of your email or on your social media, but just get rid of that. Trust me, it's not from God. I never heard Jesus ask anyone, well, what's your preferred pronoun? <laughs> you, can, you can take Pastor Aaron's word for it. Just stay away from it. It's not, it's not a godly thing. I believe it actually grieves God's heart. And sometimes it's not about what you think, how people should feel, or how you should feel, or whatever feelings. What about God's feelings? What about his heart? What about, amen? He created them male and female in his image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them. I want God's blessing on my life. Amen. He blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
Amen. We are created in his image. And the enemy, he's going to try to be pumping an image that is different from God's image. He's going to be trying to pump things that people bow to that are created in man's image and in man's likeness, what man thinks. But man, God's glory is so much better than man's glory. Amen? All right, Matthew 6. uh, My first point tonight, it kind of ties into what I was speaking with last week, but it's about what and why. Religion focuses on the what. Relationship focuses on the why. You know, I've learned being married for a few years now, it's not just what I do, but it's why I do it. Amen? And, and, And... Christianity is not a religion. It's not about what you do. It's not a system of what to do. It's it's a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. And the emphasis is on the heart. It's on why. Amen? It's not a set of rules and regulations. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Some people are so religious, they are offended by joy in the Holy Spirit. If you are offended by joy in the Holy Spirit, I know that, that, that your heart's a little off. And our relationship with God is a priority. And um, Jesus here in Matthew 6 um, brings up three act- actions that reflect your relationship with God. And... Um, he, I'm going to talk about them in kind of a, a big um, picture type way. It's good to look at scripture um, microscopically, but also macroscopically. Does that make sense? It's good to look at, at scripture and just tear it apart word by word, but also it's good to look at it at the same time macroscopically. Look, look at it with a big lens and a small lens. Look at things on a small scale, but also look at it in a big scale. And I want, to, I want to talk about these things in a, in a big scale, these three actions that reflect our relationship with God that w- will really impact your lifestyle. You'll have a lifestyle of faith. So the first one here, he talks about um, charitable deeds or almsgiving. And I want to talk about this first action, charitable deeds. Um, really, if you're, if you're in relationship with God, you're going to have a lifestyle of giving. It's not just a, 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 a what you're doing, but it's just who you are. And it's going to be reflected in, in your day-to-day life, a lifestyle of giving. So here in Matthew 6, I'm going to read the first few verses. verses. It's, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds. Um, in, in the Greek, in uh, King James, it, it talks about almsgiving. Really, it's the, the focus here is on almsgiving or giving to the poor. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds, your almsgiving, giving, giving to the poor before men to be seen by them. So really he's saying, he's looking at why are you doing what you're doing? Are you doing this for, for, for your glory, for, for, for man's glory, for, for what people think about you? Or are you doing it because you have a relationship with God and it's about him? And your relationship with the Father, it's going to affect your relationship with other people as well. So really, he, he's, he's talking about the motive of the heart. He's, amen? To be seen by them. He's saying, this is the reason why you're doing it, to be seen by them, to be to, for, for your glory, for man's glory. That shouldn't be why you're doing, why you're giving. 
You should be giving because of your relationship with the Father. Your Father is a giver, and if you, if you understand how much he's given to you, it's going to impact your lifestyle. You're going to be a giver as well. It says, otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, almsgiving, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, almsgiving, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will himself reward you openly. And I know people who've taken certain verses from here and, and used it to get a stone and throw it at someone. Or throw it at a church, because a church, you know, thanks someone for giving a donation. And that's not what this is saying. I think really what, what Jesus is saying, you, you know, if I, I'm, I'm a big giver and I have a lifestyle of giving. I married someone who has a major lifestyle of giving. She has a giving problem. It's not a problem, but if it were a problem, she would have a major problem with it. It's like an addiction. Someone needs to talk to her and... And... Um, I think, I think one reason why he's saying don't, don't sound the trumpet, especially concerning almsgiving, is because if you're giving out of love, especially to someone who's poor and struggling, if you announce it, you're kind of reveal, you're shaming that person. By saying, hey, this person, I gave them $1,000, look at me. You're kind of drawing attention to something that doesn't need to be drawn to. Does that make sense? One time, one time I... Um, I, I was taking up offering several years ago, and I mentioned, I hadn't even realized how much I'd given throughout the year, but I got, you know, the letter that said how much I give, and I was just really excited, and I mentioned how much I gave that year, and I did it as a testament to God, that, that he, you know, he, he man, I, I just, I was just, just blown away. I didn't even think it'd be possible for me to give that much in a year's time. I wasn't even keeping record when I got, I was just really excited, and someone um, picked up their stone, emailed the church saying, Pastor Aaron is such a horrible person. His left hand shouldn't know what his right hand is doing. He mentioned that he gave $25,000 away this year and, you know, just, just crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And... Um, Pastor Lawson just, you know, looked up this person and looked up how much they gave. They gave that much throughout the year. So Pastor Lawson, you know, you know, he should really bow down to this person's wishes, just fire Aaron Purdue. He's a terrible person. He doesn't... No, I'm still here. I'm still standing. Anyways... Just be careful before you pick up stones and start throwing them. That's all I'm going to say about that tonight. Amen? And I, I actually, I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm really inspired by certain people's giving. I'm, I'm inspired by my parents' giving. My dad gives more than my salary. And I, I'm, I'm really 
I think if you go to a church, you would want to go to a church where the pastor is a giver. If the pastor was not a giver, I would kind of question. And then this is kind of one of the least of things, you know. I'll kind of move on from this subject, but um, a lot of people miss some, some major, major things. And um, it's not just what you're doing, but why you're doing it. And, and it should affect your lifestyle. Your faith will affect your lifestyle. It will affect who you are. And it, it, you, will, you will give, and it's not because you want to be seen by men. If you, want, if you want a recognition from men, there are cheaper ways to go about it. Amen? Um, verse 5, when you pray, and again, this is, this is kind of the second action, and um, uh, I'm going to talk about having a lifestyle of, pray, of prayer. If, if, if praying is just who you are, you're not going to sound the trumpet or make a big deal every time you pray, because you're, you're just praying all the time. It's just who you are. You have a prayer life. You have a relationship with God. You communicate with him. You love him. You, you, you go to him. It affects your life. So it says, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Again, it's the reason behind it. It's the why behind it. It's not the what. It's the why. To be seen by men. And surely I say to you that they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. And he says here, when you pray, you're not to just do it as a show, but to, to pray to your father who's in the secret place. And I don't think, you know, just to look at this microscopically and say you're only to pray in your secret room in a closet. I don't think I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Because again, if you look at the, the big picture of things, you, you know that Daniel prayed on the rooftop. And why did he do it? He 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 wasn't just doing it to he was just doing it because that's who he who he was. That's what he did. It's not like he suddenly became a prayer person just to spite. You know, the, the decree that had been made. You know, I, I, I remember when I was in Kate Carson as a kid, when I was in second grade, we, we had a, a, a period in our class where we could, uh, it was free reading time, and we could read any book we wanted to. And I, I read my Bible, and, and the teacher got mad that I was reading the Bible. And she said, thou shalt not read the Bible. And I, I didn't do it just to, Tick somebody, I just, I read my Bible because that's what I did. Right? And I, I kept reading my Bible even though my teacher told me not to. And, and, and a righteous indignation rose up within me when she said, you can't do that. I, I kind of had this feeling as a eight-year-old that you're going to have to pry this thing from my cold, dead fingers. <laughs> and righteousness prevailed. And really, really, when you have a lifestyle of prayer, it's, it's, it's because it's relational. It's because you're praying to your Father. 
And I love that, that Jesus here is using the, the term father. It's not, it's not just a religious thing. We're, we're, we have a relationship with God Almighty, the one who was, the one who is, the one who will ever be, the one who's existed for all eternity, the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, one true God. And we can have a relationship with him. And when we pray, it's not a religious thing that we do, but it's, it's a relational thing that we do. It just flows out of who we are because we're the sons and daughters of our Father God. And he's in this secret place. And it says that your Father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. You know, prayer, it's, and again, he's not saying you can't pray publicly. I actually think it's very important to pray publicly. You know, just, just today I was praying up on the roof of the church. I like to do that Wednesdays as I'm, you know, praying, just thinking about ministry, what I'm going to share, what I'm going to pray over people. God really put it on my heart to pray for financial breakthrough for people. As I was walking right over this sanctuary, I just felt that God wanted to to just open up new streams of income for people who would be here tonight. So that's why I prayed that openly and publicly because it's something that the Father gave me in the secret place. And why did I pray up on the rooftop and not just in, a, in a, you know, the, the janitor's closet here at church? Because I like a view when I pray. I, I like to move around. I like to walk. I can see Pike's Peak up there. That's why I did it. And, um, and when he says don't pray and use vain repetitions, it's okay to, to pray similar things again. But he's saying what... what you know, why are you doing it? Are you doing it because you think God's not hearing you? Again, he's looking at the relational side of things. When you pray, you should have this, this in your heart that, that you're praying to your Father, and he loves you, and he already knows what you need. And when you pray, it, it affects how you pray and why you pray. Amen? Because you're not just, you're not just pleading and, and pounding on this God who doesn't hear, who doesn't care, who may or may not be there. You know he's there. You know he loves you. You know he cares about you. You know he's your father. And, and when you pray, you pray like what John said in 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him. You pray with confidence. You pray with faith. It affects how you pray. It affects why you pray. That if you ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if, if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So we know that when you ask of him and when you petition God, you already know that he, he's going to give it to you. That it's already done, that, that it's not a pleading type thing. But it, it's, it's a relational way we come to God. And, and when we go to him, we, we know that it's in a secret place. We know that, that we can enter that secret place. We can actually dwell there. I love Psalm 91, verse 1 and 2. He, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide. Abide. Again, this is, prayer isn't like I'm just going to show up in my prayer closet whenever. But you're abiding in that secret place. You're abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. And prayer just flows out of you. And even aspects of the Lord's Prayer, which we'll get to next, it just flows out of you. As I went up to the roof, you know, yesterday I spent several hours thinking about songs that we'd sing here on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve is a Sunday, so we'll have Christmas Eve worship on a Sunday morning. And I really didn't want to just 
have a show for people. I really wanted to worship Jesus. And um, um, I'm really excited about a song that Michelle is going to sing. What a beautiful name it is. And we're going to flow into, into holy, holy, are you Lord God? Oh. We're just going to end. We're going to sing, of course, you know, hark the herald, angels sing. We're going to sing, um, oh, holy, now we're going to sing these things, especially there, there are some Christmas carols that have powerful, powerful words that I'm so glad have been sung for hundreds of years, and I hope they keep being sung for centuries more or until Jesus comes again. But I, I, I'm just really glad that we're going to end, you know, end just with worshiping and adoring Jesus for who he is and that people, you know, friends and family who, who maybe haven't been to church in a while, have never been to church, that, they, yeah, they'll, they'll hear some of these familiar tunes, but not only that, they're, they're going to they're gonna really have their heart directed towards Jesus and experience the power of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, the glory of Jesus. The, amen? And just as I was going up on the roof, that, that, that just hit me. I just started singing, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the Lamb. Amen? And it just flowed out of me. I didn't, I had to like conjure it up. It, it just flowed right out of me. And that's what we see here even in the Lord's Prayer. So let's, let's go after it here in verse 9. It says, in this manner. So you can, you can pray this word for word, but you can pray in this manner. Does that make sense? You can pray, you can take this as an example. Take it as, as just a, a tool for, for pointing you in, in a good way to pray. Our Father in heaven. I love that. He said, starts it off with our Father. This is talking about when you pray, it should be an intimate thing. You're not just praying to this mysterious God, this one, I don't really know what your will is. I don't know. It's our Father who is in heaven. There's an intimacy there. There should be an intimacy in your prayer life. Approach him as a son or as a daughter. Amen? The, the way you, you, you come to your Father, it, it's different when you're a son. It's different when you're a daughter. The way, the way I come up to my dad, it's different than someone who's, who's not a son. I remember when I first moved back here seven years ago, I, my parents asked me to, to go check on their house, get their mail for them, and I, I just went right into the kitchen, and I was a little short on some groceries, so I just did some grocery shopping in my parents' kitchen. I opened the, the refrigerator, I took some eggs, got some milk, and I did that because I'm a son. And, and when you pray, you can, you can kind of enter God's throne room like that. You can just take the eggs, take the milk, take... You say, God, I just thank you that it's already provided. I'm just going to skip to asking and just thank you for it, that by Jesus' stripes, I was healed. If you want to ask him, you can, you shall receive, but sometimes you can just take it. Hallowed be your name. There, there's a, a, a reverence there. We should, like, just, there's, there's an intimacy towards God, but there's also a, a reverence towards God. We care about his heart, about his will, about his word. Amen. There should always be a reverence to that, that, that we, we should want to, to live lives that are reverent as well. Holiness to our God. I love that in the Old Testament, the, the priests, they wore these things on their head and across their, their forehead, it said holiness to God. And, and we know that, that in the New Testament and in Revelation that we see that his name is written across our foreheads, that, that we are made holy to our God. There's a, a reverence about our, our, our relationship with God. 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I love that I was just saying about on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. This, this, this to me, in this manner, this is a manner of surrender. This isn't a, a popular topic for people to preach on, but, but this aspect of surrender is so important. A lot of people really struggle because they never really, they, they believe that Jesus is Lord, but they haven't surrendered their life to him. And really to experience his abundant life, to experience that, that fullness of relationship with the Father through Jesus, there, there has to be surrender. You have to lay down your life for his life to flow in and through you. Does that make sense? It's not my will. It's not other people's will. It's your will. What does God think about this? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our... I love that, that, that here he actually just, just says it. Give us this day our daily bread. You can ask, but you can also declare things. You should, you should pray and believe for provision. Give us this day our daily bread. I think provision is a great thing to pray for. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I think that's a great, great thing to pray about as well. This, and come to God with humility. You know, people who've, hold, who, who've wronged us, God, I, I release it. You know, a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning, I preached a message about the Lord's release. And it, there's financial aspects to it, but I also talked about relational aspects to it and just said, said how some of you need to release things to God, just release grievances, release offenses, release hurts, release, release losses that you've been holding, and just release it and trust God with it. And several people did that and, and, and just experienced major, major breakthrough in their life because they, they release things. They, they just open their heart to forgiveness, to forgive other people, to forgive just, just, just junk that has happened to them, and, and they just experience just supernatural blessing in their life. Verse 13, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. And we should always pray for protection, that man, in this manner, a manner of praying for protection. My, my dad would pray that Psalm 91 over me and my brothers every night when we were kids, that, that God would give his angels charge over us to protect us and keep us in all of our ways. Me and both my younger brothers, to, still to this day, we have never broken a bone. You might say, well, Pastor Aaron, you just play the flute. It's not that hard. <laughs> I did play football for a while. Both my brothers played football through high school, even into college. None of us ever broke a bone. Um, we've, we've been in various challenging situations, accidents, car wrecks, different things, but, but we have never even broken a bone. And I pray that prayer over my, my son, Fisher is now 10, my daughter Ada. I pray for protection over them. I pray for protection over my family. It's a great thing to pray that, that we're just delivered from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Say the glory forever. It's all about you. It's all about God. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his glory, his power, his purpose, his presence. Amen. And verse 14 and 15, it says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So forgiveness, it's not just a suggestion, it's a commandment. We need to be quick to love and slow to wrath 
quick to forgive and slow to judge. Amen? Where we have that temptation to pick up a stone and throw it, just slow down. Amen? And I'm going to talk about, I, I'll, I'll do it really quick here, the next three verses, this third action that reflects our lifestyle of faith. And it's... Um, I'm going to talk about having a lifestyle of fasting. I'm not going to go into microscopic, nitty-ditty, nitty-gritty details about fasting, but, but every believer should have a, a lifestyle of fasting, a lifestyle where you, you, you are able to deny your impulses, your flesh, your, your cravings, your, your own will, and surrender to God's will. So, so fasting, it can, it can of course be, be talking about, you know, fasting from food for a period of time, but, but I, I think big picture wise, we should all have a lifestyle of fasting, a lifestyle of separation, where, where hey, it's okay for us to separate and realize that, that we don't have to go along with every, we don't have to eat the same junk that everyone else is eating all the time. I'm, I remember when I was in, in college, when I was 18, Clear through 29, I went to college for a very long time. Oftentimes on Friday night, on Saturday night, I would just be alone in my dorm, alone in my apartment, just watching a movie on my own. I'm a social person. I like being around people, but I know that um, there's certain times of the week and certain things that are happening it's better for me to be separate from. It's better for me just to, to be, spend some time with Jesus, and I, I, didn't, I didn't meet, I wanted to be married much younger, much earlier, but I, I didn't get married till I was 32. But I learned how, how, to, how to just really be comfortable with the secret place and, and just really find comfort in being with Jesus and, and just knowing he was there with me. And, and when I, I, I was fasting from the world, fasting from people, fasting from some stuff that I didn't want to eat, that I didn't want to partake of that, I, I, I really was happy and fulfilled. And, and, um, and I like what Jesus says about fasting. It's not just about appearances. You know, here in verse 16, it says, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. I think this is funny. It's a very religious thing to just have a sad countenance. Jesus was not a sad person. You know, all these very religious paintings of Jesus, he always looks so sad, so religious, so... But he was a joyful person. He was anointed with the, this oil of joy far, far above his brethren. He would have stood out in the crowd as someone who was laughing and full of life, full of, of cheer. For they disfigure their faces. He, he found it funny how religious people disfigured their faces when they prayed. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear, again, it's, it's the why, that they may appear to men to be fasting. And surely I say to you that they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And um, this, this, I, I want to go back to this topic of a fasted lifestyle. I'll finish here really quickly. Um, but this is something I think my parents just ingrained in me and my brothers. We, we, we all went to public school. We all went to, to public universities. And um, 
have, have succeeded, but I think a big part of it was because they just ingrained into us at a young age that we are in the world, but not of the world. That, that, that we are separate, that we don't have to think like everyone else thinks. We don't have to act like everyone else acts. You know, if, if there's a certain teaching or certain thing that, that we hear in school, you don't have to just take it hook, line, and sinker and just eat it. But you have another, another diet that's a better diet, that, that's a better source. And um, you know, if I came across something and my brothers, they, they did more you know, scientific and mathematic type study than I did. I was in music, which had its own special diet of, of world things that comes along with, with the arts world. But um, I, I knew that, 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 that I was in the world, but not of the world. And that I was ultimately a citizen of heaven, that my identity was in my relationship with Jesus. And my identity wasn't in, you know, my friendships or my relationships or my talent or my ability or what people thought of me or how many friends I had or people, people get their identity from a lot of, even I've seen a lot of believers who, you know, get their identity from relationships or from popularity or from notoriety from their career. And when there's a shift in those things, like they just have a major breakdown and you see that their foundation wasn't really on the right thing. This fasted life, so I'm going to leave you with this from 1 Peter 2, verse 9 through 12. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 through 12. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. I like the King James. It says a peculiar people. I didn't, I didn't always try to stand out as peculiar. I could have done it and just, you know, I... People just knew I was peculiar. I didn't even have to, to, to make an announcement, sound the trumpet and say, you're all different than, than me and I'm so much better than you. I, just people knew there was something different about me. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain. I love this, how, how, how realizing who you are in Christ, that you are a royal priesthood, you are chosen, you're different, that it affects your lifestyle. You have this, this, you can tap into this fasted lifestyle, this giving lifestyle, this prayerful lifestyle. Abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. They'll just observe who you are. They'll just observe your lifestyle. You, you, you not only preach with words, but you also preach the gospel with your very life. And your very life, your, the, your very existence points people to God. You're just a beacon of light. And it's, it's really true. And um, just my conclusion to everyone here today is just keep being a beacon of light. Keep, keep, keep let, just radiating, keep just pointing people to Jesus. Your life can bring glory to Jesus. I, I love um, one of these old mottos from, you know, it's about 40 years ago in the, the Lutheran church. Soli Deo Gloria. 
to you alone be the glory. And, and you know, all these, um, one of my favorite composers, Johann Sebastian Bach, at the end, sometimes beginning of, of pretty much everything he wrote, he would write SDG, Soli Deo Gloria. And, and when Bach lived, he didn't get a lot of recognition, uh, a lot of the recognition that he deserved. Actually, when, when he, his final, I'll just leave you with this final thought. Um, the, his final job that he got, he, he um, got a job as a music minister in Leipzig, Germany. He was over the music of, of four different churches in Leipzig. He had to arrange music for four different churches in Le Leipzig. He had to train all the student musicians, how to write all the music, how to do, do all these things. And it's just crazy the, the amount of work he did while he also had 20 children. I don't know how he did all of this. Um, Talk about a Protestant work ethic. But um, one thing he did um, for a period of time, for, for four years, every Sunday morning, he would write a new, um, a new cantata. They're, they're called the Bach cantatas. And he, he did this every Sunday for four years straight. There, there are, and a cantata, it's 30 minutes, and it's like a, a full-blown opera. There, there's, there's solo singers. There's, there's um, a choir. There's... There's um, in an orchestra, and a lot of these cantatas are just filled with, with um, scripture. And when Bach died, just because he wrote so much music, and so, like paper wasn't a, a cheap thing, um, the, the paper that he, and probably these, the music for these cantatas, probably when he writes out all the individual violin parts, and bassoon parts, and flute parts, and soprano parts, it, it probably was about this high of sheet music he wrote over four years. It was sold to a large shop. And, and the large shop used his music to, to rap lard in. And about, about 50 or 60 years later, at the back of this large shop, it was discovered, you know, this, this crinkled up, greasy paper that, that it had music on it. And people realized that this was, this was box music. And it hadn't been sung in 60 years. Um, uh, a famous um, composer and musician conducted at the time, Felix Mendelssohn, um, realized that box music was just ingenious and started performing it. And, and, and um, that's why we know Bach today is because of Mendelssohn and, and him just, just um, revitalizing box music. But because Bach wrote so much choral music, um, today in Japan, choir is a big thing. Um, classical music is a big thing in Japan. Japan is one of the least Christian nations in the world. But um, I think it's like less than 2% Christian in Japan. But there have been testimonies of, of, of Japanese people singing in these classical choirs, singing box music, singing you know, Luther's translation of the Bible in German. And they, these Japanese people love classical. They study it out. They know what the German is saying. They, they know that, that, that people, while singing it, experienced God's presence and, and, and had, had an encounter with Jesus and, and gave their life to Jesus and became Christian from singing box music that had been written hundreds of years later and put in a large shop. But it was done for the glory of God. And the glory of God will outlast man's glory. Amen. The word of God will outlast your fame, whatever you think you deserve. We should be more tuned into God's glory than our own glory or the glory of Taylor Swift and Kelsey. What's his name? I don't even. Travis Kelsey. 
Anyhow, that's my conclusion. Heather can come up. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.